Aren't they great? Amen. I want you to go ahead and open up your Bibles to Genesis chapter 12. And um, how many mighty men of valor do we have back? <laughs> okay, what, when I was speaking, that's what you guys started doing. So if the church has to hear, because I'm in the middle of speaking downstairs. And upstairs, you had like almost 4,000 men going, one, two, three. Hoorah! And it was like, whoa. I said, whoa, we got an army up there. And uh, it just happened right in the middle. And I was telling Pastor Saul, I said, I don't know what you were speaking on, but right in the middle, that's when that came in. He goes, oh, I'm sorry. I go, don't be sorry. It was awesome to be able to hear a united force of almost 4,000 men in unity in unity. So uh, tonight we're going to hear some testimonies. Don't stay home tonight. Don't say, oh, it's too hot. There's a place that's really hotter. <laughs> much, much hotter. Amen. Not only is it in the Philippines, uh, Texas. Oh, oh my gosh. Thank God. How many of you are grateful men that we live in Hayward? San Antonio, it's a beautiful city. Absolutely beautiful. It would be more beautiful if the weather was Hayward weather, but it was, it was muggy, it was raining. The men don't know this, and I'm going to let you know now, but the men, you don't know this, that while you were listening to Pastor Hagee, the fire department came and locked you in. They locked all the doors because there was a tornado that was coming. And so they locked, they locked you in. And uh, there was lightning, there was thunder, but more importantly, there were their tornadoes. And so, uh, so for, their own, for your own safety, they locked you in, locked us in. And, um, but then God miraculously moved the tornado and they unlocked it. You didn't even know what happened. And isn't that just like God, we're in the middle of danger. We're, when you're in the presence of the Lord, you don't have any idea of the danger that's going on around you. And sometimes he blocks it all, and you have no idea. And then when you come out of being in the presence, you're like, whoa, what happened? I missed it. Being in the presence of the Lord, you'll miss a whole lot. But if you were out there in the streets, you would have caught it. If you weren't where you were supposed to be, you would have caught it. But when you're in the presence of the Lord, you had no idea it just kind of like passed right over you. And that's the glory of being in God's presence. Amen? Um, I'm going to go over one more time chapter 12 of Genesis because it was just too good to pass up. And, um, and I know we're, we finished chapter 12, but we're going to go back over it. And we're, I'm just going to read the first three verses of chapter 12 because this really made an impact in my life. And I pray that it makes an impact in yours. The title of this message is called Blessed to Be a Blessing. Blessed to Be a Blessing. Genesis chapter 12, 1 through 3. You got it? For those of you who, who are wondering where it's at, it's the first book. You can't miss it. The first book. Genesis chapter 12, 1 through 3, and it reads like this. The Lord had said to Abram, Leave your country, your people, and your father's household and go to the land I will show you. I will make you 
into a great nation, and I will bless you. And I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. How many of you want that kind of a promise? Amen. Amen? Well, you got it. It's yours. Go ahead and have a seat this morning. Every promise that has ever been written in God's word is available to you. It's available for you to be able to get a hold of. It's available for you to be able to say, that's my scripture. I believe that. I'm going to stand on that. I'm going to trust that all of this is going to happen to me. See, when God first spoke to Abraham to leave his country, to leave his people, to leave the, country of his, uh, the, the comfort of his father's house and go to a land that God showed him, he told him, before he told him to leave, before he told him to forsake everything, he says, you know what, I'm going to bless you. And not only am I going to bless you, but I'm going to bless you so that you could be a blessing to others. I'm going to bless your life, but you are also going to bless other people's life. What a test of Abraham's faith. Without knowing where it was that God was taking him, Abraham, in obedience, said, I don't know where I'm going, but okay, there I go. Get my stuff, get my wife, get all the stuff I got, and I'm going to leave. Verse 4 says, he left as the Lord told him. Every believer has the blessing of God on their life. Whether you believe it or not, you do have a blessing on your life. And you are called to be a channel through which God can bless others. You are blessed to be a blessing. Now, some of you are looking at your life and you're going, I ain't got nothing to be blessed to give anybody. I'm barely making it. Well, after today, I hope you'll look at the blessings you really do have instead of looking at all the things that you don't have. And leaving the security of his father's house, Abraham not only showed complete obedience to his heavenly father, but he really showed his faith. His faith at being able to go to the unknown. His faith that says, God, you are more sufficient than my destination. I don't know where I'm going. I don't know where I'm going to live. I don't know who I'm going to live next to. But I believe that you are sufficient enough to show me who and where and why and how of what I'm doing. The way of God's blessing is one of faith and one of obedience. And there are times when God asks us to do something when we're unable to see what's up ahead. When Abraham was asked to go, he didn't even tell him. He doesn't always tell us. And you know, our giving is almost like that. God asks us to give of our tithes. God asks us to give of our offerings. God asks of us to be able to give, and he promises us a blessing of more than we can hold. That's what Malachi 3.10 says. When Coralie was up here and we showed Pastor Sonny, it was all about believing God for the blessing, believing God that if you give, it's going to come back to you. And that's what we hear, and that's what we know, because that's what the Word of God says. But, you know, sometimes, between us, I think sometimes it's a little difficult to understand. It's a little difficult to imagine. When you look at your checkbook, when you look at your paycheck, when you look at the bills, 
Sometimes you're like, where is that scripture again that says God's going to bless me? Where is it at? Somebody remember where it is. Somebody tell me. Somebody build my faith. It's hard for us to remember in times of need. But we do need to remember that without faith, it is impossible to please God and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. If you seek him, he will be faithful to reward you. Persistent faith and obedience. Know that God is going to bless you. You keep on doing good. You keep on giving in your tithes. You keep on giving in your offerings. The Bible says that God is going to bless you. But there's more that, to this story of Abraham than just being blessed. Abraham was told that not only was he going to be blessed, but that he was going to be a blessing. He was going to be a pipe. You know, like the water? The water we have connected from the, the street. When we turn on our water here, there is water that comes from there, and it comes through. It's a channel. That pipe is a channel. And when we turn on our water, we turn on our faucets, we turn in the kitchen sink, the water comes because it's a channel. Well, that same way that we are to receive is the same way we are to give. Others are going to be blessed through you, through our gifts, through our financial gifts that are given to United We Can, through our financial gifts that are given through the Pink Cafe. Now, you get something out of that. You, you eat, but you got to give. You got to give, but all of that money goes as a channel to Indonesia. It goes as a channel to San Pedro de Laguna. It goes as a channel to Manila. And I'm telling you that it's a channel because next month, at the end, I'm sorry, it's at the, the third week of July, our church has to give $23,000 to Indonesia. We do that every year. Every year their rents are due. They don't pay rent like we do. They don't pay it on a monthly basis. They pay it for the year. So we got to pay the church rent for the year, the women's home rent for the year, the men's home rent for the year. And then they don't worry about it for the whole year. But they don't have $23,000 because in rupias that would be like, Trillions of rupias. I, I, I don't know the exact amount, but it's like in the trillions. It's not even in the millions. Because when you go there, 9,000 rupias is $1. So you feel like you're a millionaire in Indonesia. Man, you've got all these zeros behind your money. You could have a $1 million rupia, and it's only like $10. That's it, $10. But you feel like it. You feel like, oh, man, I'm going to be able to do something here. One of the reasons why God blesses us with finances is so that we might be able to be a blessing to someone else who is in need. Ephesians 4.28, and this applies to some of you. It says, he who has been stealing. Some of us are former stealers. Former. I'm in that group. He who has been stealing, and don't, don't be all holy on me now. Man, your mother's purse looked real good on your dad's payday. And you were little, but you knew how to do it. You knew how to go to school and take a few things. You know how to go to the cupboard and 
Some, some of you even stole food. Hid it under, you know, the men's home and women's home, you know what they do. They tuck it underneath their bed. He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with his own hands that he may have something to share with those in need. That was Ephesians 4.28. How many of you have ever eaten oatmeal before? Quaker oats? Come on. I eat it every morning. That's my morning breakfast. Well, Henry Crowell, who is the founder of the Quaker Oats Company, became a Christian as a very young man. And he, as a Christian, he started his company in the city of Ohio in a small little factory. And when he became a Christian, he began to look out. He was in Ohio. He looked in Chicago. And he said there was a, a Bible college there, Moody Institute. And it's still there today. And he says, you know what? I'm going to contribute to them. He promised God right from the beginning that he was going to honor God with his giving. And whatever God blessed him with, he was going to be able to be a blessing. And as his company grew, because we all like oatmeal. Some of us don't like it. We got to eat it. But uh, well, we got it. But as his company grew, his giving grew. And after 40 years, more than 40 years of giving, 60% of his income, he gave 60% of his income to the church and to Moody Institute. This is what he says. He says, I've never gotten ahead of God. He's always been ahead of me in giving. Always been ahead of me in giving. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 24, you cannot be slaves of God and of money. The King James Version says mammon. And what Jesus is trying to tell us here is that he's saying that money is a rival God. It's a rival God. Some of you think, oh man, it's just money. No, it's a God. He's making it clear. Jesus is telling us that money is not impersonal. It's not just something that you use every day. Money is not morally neutral but it is supposed to be a resource used for good or for bad, depending on our attitude toward money. Money is a power. Some of you, when you got money in your pocket, oh man, you are walking with your head up. You are singing, I'm so glad. You got money, you got a roll, you got a wad, you just got paid. You're feeling good. Payday comes, you know you feel good. And you feel real good. But what happens when the day before payday, how are you walking? I ain't got no money. I'm busted. I ain't got a grunion. I ain't got nothing. My, my husband used to say, I got new natuna. <laughs> nothing. Because, see, money is a power. It either makes us feel good about ourselves, or it makes us feel bad about ourselves. It's a power that seeks to dominate us. Money is like a god in the way we treat it. Mark Twain wrote many years ago, he says, what is the chief end of man? To get rich. In what way? Dishonestly, if we can, 
honestly, if we must. Who is the one and only true God? Mark Twain wrote this. Who is the one and only true God? Money. Gold and green backs and stock. Father, Son, and Holy Ghost of the same. Three persons in one. These are the true and only God, mighty and supreme. Imagine Mark Twain wrote that. One of our America's biggest playwrights. David Augsburger wrote just a few years ago, he said, money is 200 proof. Those of you who drink, you know what 100 proof is? That's the real stuff. Those of you who used to use, when they used to say, this is 100% proof, you knew you were getting the real clear uncut stuff. But David Augsburger wrote this. He said, money is 200 proof taken straight or mixed with many other lovely things, it's the most intoxicating substance known to man. So you don't think money's that powerful. Then why would we refer to money as purchasing power? Why do we attach symbols to money? We attach prestige, we attach status, we attach glamour, we attach worth. I mean, the bachelor or bachelorette would not be even worth looking at if they didn't have money. Why would the shows How to Marry a Millionaire be so big? Millionaire ain't nothing today. You need to be a, a quadruple millionaire. You need to be a close to a billionaire. Pastor Sonny, on, I'll tell you this as a side joke. Pastor Sonny, on, uh, when I was down in, in, um, in San Antonio, Pastor Sonny tells me, this is a joke, okay? This is just a joke. He tells me, I had somebody come and ask me for your hand. <laughs> and I was like, really? He goes, yeah. He asked me for your hand. I said, oh, I tell him I'm taken. He goes, you are? And I had my dog with me. He was on my, and I go, yep, he's right here. That's my prince. His name is Prince. I said, this is my prince. And he goes, no, 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 no. No, but really, he asked for your hand, and I go, tell him I'm taken. He goes, man, you're missing out. He was a millionaire. Too bad. I said, you know what? Next time you get a gazillionaire, let me know. <laughs> Anything less, forget it. Don't, because he's got to finance the church. <laughs> That's how I'm thinking got to be a gazillionaire, millionaire, billionaire, no, a gazillionaire. It's not, it's highly improbable. That's how improbable it is for me too. But money is attached to a lot of stuff. We look at people who have money and we think they're so glamorous. They could be so deadly ugly and we think they're that, that cute or that handsome or that glamorous just because they got Money. Why do we refer to money as the almighty dollar? Money in our society is God-like. It can even be a substitute God. And if we're not careful, it will either ruin or rule our life. Henry Fielding said this, if you make money your God, it will plague you like the devil. Second Corinthians 8, 
verses 2 and 3 and 5 says this. He's ta- Paul is talking about the Macedonian church. He says, out of the most severe trial, the Macedonian church in their overflowing joy and in their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. They gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. They even did more than we had hoped. For their first action was to give themselves to the Lord. Their first action was to give themselves to the Lord and then to us, just as God wanted them to. See, God used the very trial of their faith as a means of overflowing joy and generosity. When we're in the midst of trials, do you all of a sudden get generous or do you all of a sudden get codo, get stingy. See, these believers in Macedonia were in great affliction. They were in deep poverty, but they abounded in faith, and they abounded in knowledge, and they abounded in diligence, and they abounded in love, and they abounded in giving. They gave liberally, way beyond their means, to the other churches that were experiencing great hardship. If they would not have given, those needs in those other churches would not have been met. It says, out of their great poverty, they gave. When I was in Italy a couple of mm, weeks ago or a month or two ago, I was watching the news. And in Europe, you get world news. In America, we tend to just get American news, and it's kind of like tainted. But in Europe or everywhere else around the world, you just kind of get the straight news. And when I was watching the news... What happened is that they painted such a fearful image of us here in the United States. There was news bulletin after news bulletin about there's no food in America. And then they showed people at Costco and Sam's Club buying bags and bags of rice. There's no rice. The Americans are out there. And it really showed. It showed all kinds of people in line. Like, if, like during the Depression, in line for rice. It showed different people losing their houses, being, you know, standing next to their houses and crying. I read an article yesterday that was the saddest article, that people are now committing suicide because they'd rather commit suicide than lose their home. There are other people who were putting their their uh, house to fire. They'd rather burn the house than let the bank take it. I mean, people are getting crazy. They're getting radical. You know why? Because it's the spirit of fear. Fear will do that to you. Fear will make you do crazy things. It'll make you think that dying is better than this. It'll make you think that setting arson and going to jail for the rest of your life is better than this. It'll make you think crazy things. It's a spirit of fear. And they depicted the United States as so fearful, not having enough food, not having enough gas, not having enough housing, not having enough of anything. And I was watching that. Me and Linda were going, man, what are we going to go back to? Because it just painted such a bleak picture of the United States. But when I look in my word... It says that the Macedonians refused to live in fear. They had extreme poverty. Some of you may say, well, I'm in poverty. Are you extreme? Are you living in a tent? 
Extreme poverty means you have nothing. You're, you have a tent. Some of you, if you're an extreme, you don't even have a tent. You're trying to get under somebody else's tent. But even when they were living in what was considered extreme poverty, they gave. What a tremendous testimony. These were new believers, brand new people who were just accepting Christ, and they're going, what do I got? Okay, I'll give that. I'll give whatever I got. See, that is the key. If there's anything that I can tell you, what is the key? That is the key to an abundant life. That is the key to a fruitful life. That is the key to an effective life. To be able to live a life for his glory and his honor. And the Bible says that they gave themselves to the Lord. First, they gave themselves to him. See, that's what happened to the Macedonian church. And God used their poverty and great affliction to build a church that was strong, to build a church that believed in the word of God, that built a church to believe in the promises, that they were blessed to be a blessing. They were blessed to hoard, but they were blessed to give. They were blessed to be able to see other churches have their needs met. They were blessed to see other people have their needs met. The extent of their giving was not in the amount that they gave, but it was in their attitude. It was in their attitude. Some of you are, you know what? You could drop $100. You do all the time. When you were in the world, man, Super Bowl time, pfft, man, you'd drop 100 200 300 You'd gamble. You'd, $500 on this team. And then you lose it. You're like, oh, well. $20 doesn't seem like a whole lot when you're out there at the grocery market. $20 is like, man, what am I going to be able to buy? I can't buy nothing with $20. There is nothing to eat. $20 is just going to take me through McDonald's. $19.95, just for you. You only got $20, and it's so little bit when you're at the market, when you're at the gas tank. At the gas pump, $20, what's $20 going to do? Going to get you home and back. But when you come to church, $20, oh, man, that's too much. That's too much. $20, that's a lot of money. How come that $20 wasn't a lot when it was just for you? But all of a sudden, that $20 to give now becomes too much. See, that's what happens when we put ourselves first. That's why the Macedonians said when they first gave themselves to the Lord. When you first give yourself to the Lord, he transforms your priorities. He transforms your attitude. He transforms the way that you think about money. And all of the things that are temporal are not as important as the, as the things that are eternal. The focus on our lives begins to change from being centered on us to being focused on Christ. It's no longer all about me. It's no longer what I want. You know, I was watching a, a movie the other day when I was in San Antonio, and I, I watched it with uh, Dodie, the pastor's wife from Denver, and some of you may have seen it, and it was called Mad Money. And it, it, it was a... It was a cute movie. It's all about stealing, stealing from the government. 
and uh, a lot of money stealing from the U.S. Treasury. I don't know where they got the idea from. I don't know if somebody did it, but they, they took a lot of money. And this is like over a period of time. They took a lot. But you, one thing that stuck out to me through that whole movie, it was, it was just a phrase that uh, Queen Latifah said. She said, you know what? She's telling the other two girls, she goes, you know what? Like she would talk. Money ain't the root of all evil. Want is the root of all evil. And that really hit me. Because I began to think of how true that statement is. If you never walk through Macy's or Nordstrom's or Best Buy or Circuit City or any other store, you never saw any of the bulletins that come in your mail, if you never saw all of that, you wouldn't need it. But you see it. Somebody else has it. Oh, man, they got a better car than I do. Oh, they got a better house than I do. Oh, they got all the little gadgets, and they got all the latest, and they got the new phone and the new iPod and the new computer, and, and they got all the latest toys. But if you never saw the latest toys, you wouldn't need it. Want is the root of all evil. Just coined a whole new proverb. But there's four things that I want to just share with you about that we need to understand about money. First of all, all money is God's. It all belongs to him. See, many people don't think we should bring God into our finances. And one of the reasons why they don't think we should bring God in is that money is too worldly and that it's tainted. Well, money is tainted. Taint yours and it taint mine. It's God's. It all belongs to him. Psalm 24, 1 says, The earth and everything in it, the world and all its inhabitants, belong to the Lord. So whatever you got, you think it's worth something, it belongs to God. It's God's money that we're dealing with. And there is nothing too worldly for the one who created it in the first place. See, our house title may have our name on it. Our car title may have our name on it. Our paycheck may have our name on it. Our checkbook may have our name on it. But guess what? God owns it all. He owns everything. We may possess much, but actually we own nothing. We don't own anything. The things we have are not ours to own. The things we have are ours on a loan. It was God's property before we got it, and God's going to loan it to somebody else after we die. Somebody else is going to get your stuff. You know that? Somebody else is going to get your stuff. I remember somebody, you know, there's a, a religious group that walks around knocking on doors, and they believe that, uh, that we don't go to heaven, that they just go to sleep here. And when they were knocked on my door, um, and that's when I lived next door in the big house, and I live in the little house. Um, but in the big house, uh, when, they were, when they knocked on my door and they were trying to convert me, I said, wait, 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 wait before you do all of that, let, let me just tell you this. See this address? Write it down. R write this address down. I said, you know what, because I do have a beautiful house that God gave it to me. And I have a lot of beautiful things that God gave it to me. Write this address down because when I leave, 
you can have it. I won't need it because I'm going to have a mansion. And everything in here is not going to be worth nothing. Everything here is going to break. Everything here is going to rot. Everything here is going to, you know, it's going to be stolen. But where I'm going, neither rust nor moth nor anything can get to where I'm going. So write this address down because you know what? It's yours. You want me to write a paper? It's yours. You can have it because I'll be gone. And I'll be enjoying what you don't think is a reality. And they're looking at me like, oh, man, she's really nuts. <laughs> I don't think so. First Timothy 6, 7 says, for we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. You never, ever have seen a hearse pulling a U-Haul. Bill Gates has a net worth of over, well over $50 billion. That's kind of even un, unfathomable. How, you know, $50 billion? And he is what the world considers the richest man of life. But guess what? When he dies, you know how much he's going to leave behind? All of it. He's going to leave it all. He can't take it with him. See, this principle is basic to everything. It's not just with money, but it's with our time, and it's with our talents, and it's with our treasures. We teach here in this church that 10% of all we earn belongs to God. That's what we teach, that's what the Bible says, and that's what we believe. And that's why we say that it is God's tithe, and it is my offering. God's tithe, belongs. 10% belongs to him. My offering is anything else above the 10%. The first portion is God's. But I think we've taken this so literally that sometimes we believe that, oh, well, only 10% belongs to him and 90% belongs to me. And that's wrong thinking. 100% belongs to God. 100%. It all belongs to him. So whatever you do, make sure God is first. Secondly, not only is all money God's, but money is to be managed. And once we understand that God is the owner, once we understand that everything belongs to him, then we'll understand our role to his money, his possessions, his talents. Because right from the very beginning, God put human beings in charge of their possessions. He told Adam, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. Rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and every creature that crawls on the earth. And the biblical word for management is stewardship. And that's why we always say, be a good steward. Because you are managing your stuff. You're managing your money. It, it's a person who manages that it belongs to someone else. It's a trustee, like a trustee of an estate. If you are a trustee of an estate, that estate doesn't belong to you. You are just managing it because it belongs to someone else. You don't own it, you manage it, and that's the way our money has to be. We're managing it. It is not ours. We're just managing it. We need to be able to have money with an open hand. And the reason we need to have an open hand is because you can receive things when you have an open hand. And God may also take things with an open hand. But Corey Ten Boom said this. My husband used to quote this all the time. Don't ever get so connected 
to something that you begin to close your hand and hold on to it for dear life because this is all you got. Because God will break your fingers to get it. He gave it to you and he can take it away. And this goes with everything in your life. This goes for those of you who are married. You've got to keep your spouse with an open hand. You've got to keep your children with an open hand. You've got to keep your money with an open hand. Your car, your house, whatever is the most important thing to you, you have to keep it with an open hand because if you close it, if you close it, God will look and say, excuse me, what's in your hand? Oh, oh, nothing, nothing. I ain't got nothing. You know, like the little kids, what do you have? Nothing. Let me see your hand. And they go put, they put the other one. Okay, and then they show nothing, and they have this one behind them. And God says, show me your hand. Because if we keep it open, then we can receive as well as give. But if we close it, then we're only going to see what we don't have instead of what we do have. So not only do we need to keep an open hand, but we need to keep an open mind. Because we can spend money. We can spend money. It's okay to spend. But I want you to know that every spending decision that you make, you need to pray about it. I'm serious. Every spending decision you make, you need to pray. Before you buy a car, before you buy a house, before you buy that dress, before you buy that suit, before you join a health club, before you buy that piece of furniture, before you support a missionary, before you do anything, pray. Because your finances are spiritual. See, I've heard people say that a church doesn't have financial problems. It has spiritual problems. And I agree with that. It's true. Because when money is not contributed to support the church, the chances are the priorities are out of order with the members of our church. When, if you have financial problems in your life right now and you're struggling, I guarantee you, you have a priority problem in your life. Your priorities are out of order. We, you give to God what's left over. And the Bible says you need to make him your priority. Your priority. And then you need to have an open checkbook. See, there's a lot of things that we can fake. You can come here and you can lift your hands and smile. and Oh, God bless you. Oh, I'm so blasted. And we can pretend all we want on our spirituality. We can pretend that we have this glorious relationship with God. But you know what we can't pretend? Our checkbook. Because it's right there. Show me what you got. Show me who you paid. Show me the Penny's bill, the Macy's bill, the Montgomery Wards, the Coles, the, you know, the market. Show me all of that. And excuse me, where, where, where is the church? Where, where is God? in? Oh, well, I just didn't have enough. Just didn't have enough. I guarantee you, you will never have enough if that's the attitude. I have known people who have given, who only make $1,000. That's all they make is $1,000. Their rent is 950 
and they're still alive, and they're still kicking. I remember when we first got sent out up here to Northern California, we started our church. For three months, we received $1,000. Then the next three months, we received $750. Then the next three months, we received $500. And then the next three months, we received $250. But what I forgot to tell you is that we paid our tithes off the top. So those first three months, we didn't get $1,000. We got $900. And then the next three months, we didn't get $750. We got $675. Now, what I want to tell you is that our rent, this was back in 1981, was $1,000. That was it. So we only had $900 coming in. And we needed 1000 to pay our rent. And I think we needed to eat. And then we needed to have lights on because we were going to start our church there. And then we needed to have flyers. And I needed diapers for my son. And I needed stuff. You know, women just need stuff. And I didn't know how God was going to do it. I didn't have the faintest idea. How is God going to do this? I thank God that I was married to such a man of faith. Because I was the O-ye of little faith. I was the realist. And there's always one in the family. There's always one that says, God's going to do it. And the other one's going, oh, yeah? How? How's he going to do it? Show me how he's going to do it. And that, that was me. That was my attitude. You show me how God's going to do it. And my husband, you know what? God is going to do this. And he's going to show you. He's going he's gonna to show you how he's going to do it. And, and I was always... The Doubting Thomasina. <laughs> I wasn't the Doubting, Thom doubt doubting Thomasina. And, and my husband was such a man of faith. You know, there was, Pastor Sonny preached the message at Mighty Men of Valor, and he was talking about men who have passion, men who do radical things. And, and I remember, you know, going up, and, and, uh, and I, Pastor Sonny and, and Nikki Cruz were there, and you know, I went up and I greeted them. And, and I said, you know what, Pastor Sonny? I was married to the most radical, passionate man of Victory Outreach. And Nikki goes, you're right. You were married to him. And, and when he said that, it just kind of like stunned me because I was like, yeah, I was. But then when he said it and he pointed at me, it, it just kind of started shocked me. And then the last message for Mighty Man was Pastor Sonny Jr. And he talked, you know, a about a lot of things, but... One of the things that he talked about was a legacy. And, and that impacted my life. And, you know, he says, if, if, if God spoke to you through this message, run up here. And, oh, man, I wanted to run up here, but run up there. But I couldn't because it was like all these thousands of men, you know. And so I made the altar call in my seat. But my heart was in the front row before Adam because Adam made it to the front row. And I was like, I'm before him, Lord, because I saw him running. I go, I... I'm before him. I'm there. And, and when I was, I was there at the altar and I was praying and I was saying, Lord, you had me married to a man for 27 years who had so much passion, who was so radical, who had such great faith. Lord, why? What were you trying to show me? What were you trying to teach me? through being married to him. 
And God said exactly everything you just said. He just spoke to me so clear. And he goes, you need to get more radical. You need to increase in your faith. And you need to get more passionate about what you're doing. Because I'm going to take you to the next level. But it's going to be with radicalness. And it's going to be with passion. And it's going to be with a mighty, mighty dose of faith. And when I, 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 I committed myself... And then I said, Lord, and I don't know how many of you have ever read in, um, and I'm being very transparent and very honest this morning, um, and I, I'm talking to God. We're, we're having this conversation. I don't know if any of you have ever had a conversation with God, but if you've never had a conversation with God, you got to get in a conversation with God because you just, you think you're so great and so good, and then you go before him and you're like, oh man, I'm not doing that well, am I? But I'm having this conversation with God because he's already told me, okay, you got to get radical and you got to increase in your faith and you got to be able to be more passionate. And so I said, okay, God, I'm going to take that. That's for me. And then there, there's a story in the Bible that talks about David when he was running from Saul and he went into the cave of Abdullam. And when he went to the cave of Abdullam, all these people followed him. The ones that were in debt the ones that were discouraged, and the ones who were discontented. And if you read your Bible, those are the types of men that follow David. And I remember I, I'm in the spirit, and I'm talking to God, and I go, God, I got a cave back home. I got a cave of people who are in debt. I got a cave of people who are discouraged. I got a cave of people who are discontented. What do I do? He said, go back and tell them, fire them up with their faith. Fire them up with passion. Fire them up, letting them know that I have a call upon their life, that I'm going to do what I said I'm going to do. I have blessed them to be a blessing. I haven't blessed them to hoard it. I blessed them to go out and to reach other people. All you young people, go out and reach other young people. Young adults, go reach other young adults. Married couples, go reach other married couples. Singles, go reach other singles. What are you doing? What are you doing? We got comfortable. We've been talking about raising this beam for how long? Too long. We're two weeks away from our appointed date to move out of here for a month. We're two weeks away. And we're far, far away from being able to move out. We needed to raise 130000 since February to the end of May. To date, we've raised about forty-five. So we're a little bit off. We've got two weeks. What wh I'm I'm praying, I'm going, God, what am I gonna do? He goes, Tell them they're blessed to be a blessing. That's it. We're blessed to be a blessing. We're blessed to be a testimony. Do you know all the eyes are on this church? Everybody wants to know how this church is doing. Everybody wants to know if we're going to be able to make it past these five years. In August, it'll be five years that my husband went to be with the Lord. I had one of the pastors, and I, I had a meeting with um, Pastor Joffrey from Amsterdam and 
Pastor Jerry from uh, Indonesia. And, uh, and let me just say this. I'm glad we have people who still have passion here in this church. And the people that have passion are the ones that are stepping forward. Toby and Bev are leaving us in July to go give a year of their life in Indonesia. Giving of their life, putting God first, putting God first. You know what Bev told me? I talked to her on a Sunday and I said, pray about it for a week. She called me on Monday. Monday, and she said, you know what? We're going. And I was like, yeah? I mean, it, I didn't expect the answer so quick. And she goes, yeah, we're going. Toby, he's, he's already got a leave of absence for a year. And she says, and you know what? I've been working for the post office for 25 years, and I don't know if they're going to give me a leave, but you know what? Forget it. Just forget it. I'm going. I'm going to go. I'm going to do what God has called me to do. And if I have a job, great. And if I don't have a job, great. I'm going to do what God has called me to do. And thank God we have people who are ready to have that kind of passion to do what God has called them to do. People are watching us. People are seeing, you know what, are they going to be able to do it? Can they continue to grow this church? Can they finish this building? Or are we going to be talking about this in another five years? Are we still going to be talking about we got to do this and we got to come on. You got to do this. Come on. I surely don't want to be talking about this in five. I don't even want to be talking about this in one year. I really don't. We got to do this. You know what makes us different than the non-believers? We may not have as much money. We may have the same amount of money as our non-believing friends. We may have as much money as our neighbors. But what makes us different is that we are to be absent from anxiety and worry with our money. You are not to be staying up worrying about how you're going to pay your mortgage. You are not to be staying up and stressed out and taking it out on your family on how we're going to pay the car payment and how we're going to get food and how we're going to do this. That is not what you're supposed to do. You are to get into your word. You are to get on your knees. You are to trust God. You are to claim the promises that belong to you. And they belong to you. They're yours. I have told you about the story. I'm going to tell you again because it increases my faith every time I tell it. And, you, and maybe it will increase your faith again today. The time when we had absolutely no food in our house. I was giving my son ketchup soup. Never had ketchup soup? It ain't that bad. You get some ketchup, hot water, pepper, a little salt. Tastes just like tomato soup. But I'll tell you something, I was giving my son that, and I gave it to him for one whole day. And by the end of, the, the, the end of that day, you know, I was just trying to comfort him because I was like, God, what are you doing? What are you doing? But you think I kept quiet? Oh, no, I was on my husband. Now, what are you going to do? And we ain't got no food. And, and you know, I wanted answers. But did I get on my knees? No. I let him do it. And the next morning, I gave my son ketchup soup again. 
and he started crying. He's only two years old. He's crying. I don't want this. He, he was very uh, vocal. He could hold a conversation at two years old. And I don't want this. And I'm like, what do you mean you don't want it? You have to eat it. I don't want it. I don't. And we're, we're fighting. I'm fighting with a two-year-old on what he's going to eat. Anybody ever fought with a two-year-old? You don't win. And so I was, but it was only serving to build up my own personal anger because I didn't feel that God was meeting our needs. And so I went over there and I started on my husband. And I started telling him, we shouldn't be here. God is not meeting our needs. We shouldn't have come here. And I was on him and on him. And he would just look at me and he just said, I'll be back. And he went into his office, which would ugh, irritate me because he wouldn't talk to me. He'd go pray. I wanted him to do something. I'm action. Do something. No, his doing something was to shut himself up in prayer. And I thank God for a man like that because it showed me a whole lot. Just letting you know how, how fleshly I really was. Got to remember, too, this was 27 years ago. I, I have now become my husband, where now problems come. I'm like, you know what? Can't deal with it going over there. But let me tell you what happened. When he was in the office praying, I got a knock on the door. And I opened the door, and there was a woman that I'd never seen before in my whole life. Never seen her. And she said, is this Victory Outreach? And I said, yeah. She goes, oh, good. I'll be right back. And I was like, what? Okay. You know, I'm looking like, where's she going? And we lived in a house where you actually, uh, she had parked like around the corner so I couldn't see. And so I went and my son was still crying. I'm trying to tend to him. And now I got somebody at the door and, you know, just like stress. I could feel it mounting up. And, and then she came back. She goes, hello. So I went back to the door and um, she had two bags of groceries. And there was a woman be behind her that had two bags of groceries and a woman behind her that had two more bags of groceries. And I was like, what? You know, I, I didn't know what to say. And she said, God spoke to me and told me to go buy you groceries. And she came in and she put the bags. And the, the other two women, there was three women, they each carried two bags and they put them on the counter and they said, we'll be right back. We got more. And they went back to the car three times three times and brought so much grocery and I and I ran to the to my husband's office which was the garage and uh, and I told him look come look and he's going what he was on his knees and I'm going come now come look and he's like frustrated with me because I interrupted his prayer time and and when he came and he just saw all the bags of groceries he was like he just lifted up his head and just said, thank you, Lord. And then he looked at me and he said, see, see. And, um, and it just reminded me of God's faithfulness. God's faithfulness. And that happened um, next month. It'll be 27 years that we've been here. That miracle happened in September of 1981. And that miracle constantly reminds me that God is a faithful God. God is a God who meets needs.
Not someone who goes out there to try to hustle, because some of you, you can do that. You know how to make money. You know how to get a side job. You know how to get it underneath the table. You know how to do all of that. And God is saying, you know what? I don't get any glory in that. I don't get any glory when you do it on your own. I don't get any glory when you try to fix it yourself. I don't get any glory when you try to maneuver and manipulate circumstances to meet your needs. I get all the glory when you hit your knees and it comes in miraculously from people you don't even know, from places you didn't even know. That's when he gets the glory. That's when he gets the honor. And that's why those that sow in tears will reap in joy. And what's the secret? The secret is to first give yourself to the Lord. First, before anything else, you give yourself to the Lord. My question to you this morning is, is the Lord your first priority? Is he first? Because if he is, you don't have a problem in giving. You don't have a problem in, in making right your pledge for this being. You won't have a problem in putting him first before you pay any bill, before you pay your rent, before you pay your car payment, before you do anything. You'll give it to him first because God blesses those who bless others. When you're a channel, and because God's blessing is on our lives, we're blessed. It's not just for us. He's going to bless. He's going to meet your needs. Does he test us? Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. There's been many times I've been on my knees saying, God, what's happening? What is happening? God, there's not enough. Then I have to go back to my word and goes, you know what? He's a God of more than enough. I just need to walk through this. He is my shepherd. I shall not want. I'm not going to be in want, and neither are you. We are blessed to be a blessing. I want you to just bow your heads this morning. And I want to ask you that simple question. Is the Lord your first priority? Are you living under his lordship? Because God can only bless when he's first. Not when he's second or third or fourth. The Macedonians gave out of their extreme poverty because they stood on the promises of God. Some of you might have been thinking, wow, they forgot to pick up the offering. All right. More money for me. No, didn't forget. Just needed the word of God to penetrate into our mind and into our attitude this morning. God wants to bless. He really does want to bless you. Doesn't matter what your checking account says. Doesn't matter what your checkbook says. He wants to bless you. And then he wants you to be a blessing to others. And I want to make two altar calls this morning. The first one 
is going to be the offering. And then the second one is going to be here at the altar if the Lord has not been your priority. So as soon as the basket passes and you feel like you need to come this morning to make the Lord a priority in your life, then the altars are going to be open. So why don't you go ahead and stand. And we're going to pray. We're going to pray for the offering, and then we're going to pray for your commitment to the